You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, and welcome to the 42Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we have another great podcast for you today, where we're going to talk about a season of television that has just passed. And before we get into that, let's introduce our cast. So first up, you've heard her before. She's talked about Once Upon a Time. She's talked about all kinds of geeky things that she's interested in, from Orphan Black to... Ooh, I don't even remember anymore. Uh, <laughs> to to Thor, and that is my friend Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Hey, no problem. So, uh, what's been new and exciting in your life, Angie? So it's Sundance season in Salt Lake, and um, I usually try to go to at least one movie a year since it's around my birthday. And this time I actually get to go see a movie that that my best friend worked on. So I'm super excited. It's um, like a Western with uh, Robert Pattinson and Mia was something. (laughs) But it's called Damsel. It looks pretty good. Um, so I'm stoked for that. It's it's Park City is really busy around this time, so it's fun to just go and Idris Elba's actually here this year. So Ooh. Oh my god. I <laughs> Yeah, I'm kinda wanting to be there too. <laughs> yeah, so people are having moments right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a co- I'm a confident right? heterosexual, but Idris Elba makes my, the back of my knees all sweaty. <laughs> in a good way. To talk in my general direction. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. That's it. That's all we need. Yep. <laughs> I'll report back if I see him. Thank you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, uh, anything else uh, going on? Yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Just working. Okay. Yeah, I know that. I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have you back on, Angie. Thanks. And next up, he is hailing from the satellite of love, but sans his robot friends, and that is my buddy Mike Nelson. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, brother. <laughs> a joke never gets old. It never does, because no. now I want to get the. Now I might just get those pop figures and just have them on my desk. I just remember when I first started seeing your name on Facebook, and I was like, Mike Nelson. So <laughs> that Sean, is amazing. Does Sean know him? Yeah. How does Sean know Mike Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's been doing exciting for you, Mike? Oh man, honestly, dealing with YouTube uh, as a YouTuber. On I have two channels, and YouTube is just striking down on small channels, and it's pissing me off. Mm. And actually, this weekend, I'm actually running off of basically almost the same amount of sleep because I got done shooting a movie for a friend of mine uh, this past weekend, and that was hella fun. Mm. What kind of a movie? Uh, So she's an author, and (laughs) she's done a number of books, and they're all 
I'm going to say they're all good, even though I have a book beside me. I have not even read it. But she's so good. <laughs> she's a good writer, you know? Uh-huh. But she turned one of her short stories called Anniversary into – she she came to me, and it's like, I want to make this into a movie. I'm like, talk to our buddy Tommy here. He's a director. We also have an actor. This is our buddy Jason. Talk to – we – me and my guys, we introduced her to a filmmaker, an actor, all at this one convention, and – all of a sudden, we have a two-day movie shoot for a 20-minute some odd movie. You little rascal did. Spanky's got a barn. Darla's got some costumes. <laughs> Let's put on a show. That's Yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. and That is awesome. It was phenomenal. It was, it's a horror movie hmm. about uh, this wife killing her husband. But, you know, it's it's a good love story. <laughs> but in... in and so we, I wasn't able to get there on Saturdays, but we were there Sunday for the shoot, and we were there for basically almost a 10-hour day, and we got done shooting the movie in those two days. We were all done, wrapped, it's all over. But this is the first, I've been on a movie set, and this is the first time my buddy was on it, and he, this was his first, he, was, he was the clapper, he was the, clap, the, the clapper dude. We called him clapper bitch, really. <laughs> and he was so excited, and... But just also seeing my buddy Jason actually act, because this is the first time I got to see him on a project doing this thing. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. I hate you. You're a dick. <laughs> but you're so good. And But also, this, my, this is, her, her name is Aurelius Nova, the writer. She got to actually play the wife in the movie. So this is her first time really acting. And while I was there, she had to do a couple of lines. I had to pull her to the side. And I'm like, look, can you just say it like this? Because you're doing it wrong. All right. This is why I'm here. I'm here for your moral support. You're, you're sucking right now and you should do it this way. <laughs> but it was just a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal weekend. Just being on a movie set again, that it just takes me back. I love it. Yeah, I am super jealous because the closest I've ever gotten to that was in high school where we were going to do a spoof of Titanic called The Friggin' Huge. And it never happened. <laughs> we, 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 we had the whole thing kind of like planned out and the script was done and everything and just sort of people stopped like being interested in it and we never really got it recorded. So it was, it was disappointing. Uh, Sad. But anyway. <laughs> you're older now. I think you should use this idea and do it with your family. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Rachel will be all into it. <laughs> Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Um, so I saw you posting on Facebook earlier about, uh, um, Timeless. Uh, did you watch Timeless? I saw the first three episodes. Oh, okay. And, and, and I didn't fall off of it because I was disinterested with it. I just felt that NBC was going to cut it. So I didn't want to fall in <laughs> love with it. Like, like we, like, I'm like called it. Yeah. But I, I shared it cause I knew you were a fan and I completely forgot last year that it got picked up again after it was originally canceled it was the weirdest thing because it didn't switch networks or anything nbc canceled it and then three days later they were like my bad <laughs> you know it's back you know they changed the season to only 10 episodes but they still brought it back so it was weird everybody was like i have never seen anything like this before yeah so with that now I i'll probably go back on hulu and try and catch the the previous season and see about it because i do like my time travel and mm. the cast was actually pretty sp was pretty good yeah, I, I recommend the show. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I have one kind of problem with the show overall, but uh, otherwise, I, I think it was a lot of fun. But uh, it's good having you back on, Mike. It's good to be back. And finally, finally, by Crom, it is a <sighs> guy who, <laughs> who, who lives in a movie theater. He talks about movies all the time. He is way into Robert E. Howard and the Conan stuff, and that is my buddy Mark Finn. How are you doing, Mark? 
I've got the world on a string. I'm sitting on a rainbow. And here's why. Because uh, we're recording this on uh, Robert E. Howard's birthday today. Mm. Uh, he would have been 112 years old if it was possible to live that long. And uh, had he not killed himself at the age of 30. So there you go. Mm. Everybody wins. Well, that is impressive. Yeah. I think so, especially since, you know, we, there's a new Conan game out from Funcom. and uh, Conan Exiles. Yes. And, I, got uh, a code, I got a beta code for that when it was doing testing. Oh, cool. And uh, they just announced uh, some big news, uh, including that uh, Conan is going back to Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be very cool. Although uh, I did see some somebody, some one of these one of these websites, one of these upstarts with their. <laughs> j- j- to, but here, here's five the top five things we want to see from from Marvel getting Conan back, and <laughs> and and I read all five of them, and they were all the stupidest things. <laughs> Just let's make Conan an Avenger. Let's make Conan an X Men member. Let's have what? Conan fight Wolverine. Let's have Conan. Let's have Conan beat Thor and become Thor and take his hammer. And I'm just like, you know, my first thought was, what's this wee stuff, pale face? What are you doing? You know, the, the Conan, the house that Marvel built was built largely on Conan in the 1970s. Conan. Mm-hmm was one of the things that actually saved Marvel in the 70s when they were kind of floundering. Conan was actually a consistent seller, not just in the comics, but in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And granted, you know, they, they kind of went off the rails in the late 80s because they kind of run through everything a couple of times. Uh, and, and it got a little repetitive because people were just basically doing pastiches of the pastiches of the pastiches at that point. <laughs> But it's a it's a whole new day now, you know. And uh, I, uh, I I hope that Marvel's Conan ends up. I hope what they decide to do with it because Dark Horse did the heavy lifting of adapting all of Robert E. Howard's works again. Mm-hmm. And now that that's done, it'd be kind of cool to go in and say none of this is official, none of this is canon, none of this is is in the is in the spirit of Robert E. Howard, but. Let's get somebody we like, like, uh, I don't know, you know, pick, let's get Dan Slott. Do you have a Conan story? Oh my God, I'm a huge Conan fan. Well, Dan, come tell your six part Conan story. Okay. It takes place between this one and this one. Do it. Run. You know, they, they shouldn't even be connected. It, they should be, they should be event based things like six to eight parters that, 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 that jump around just like the Conan stories do. You know, Dan Slott's going to write Conan the Thief and uh, somebody else is going to write uh, one of the Conan, Conan the Pirate stories when he and Belit are going all up and down the, the black coast, you know, do it that way, mm-hmm. you know, cause that hadn't been done in a while. And that would be something different. And the cool thing is, is if you don't like, this current Conan story, guess what? There's one coming up in four issues that you will like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a new guy. It's a new thing. You know, they kind of need the tales of the dark Knight at, at this point. But, but mark my words, no one, and I mean no one, wants Conan to become an Avenger. That no one, no, <laughs> no one wants that. That's not, that's not, that shouldn't happen. There were two, there were two what if stories. That were done in this in the seventies and early eighties, and one of them was what if Conan got thrown into the twentieth century, and it was wizards and magic, and I don't remember if Doctor Strange or Doctor Druid was involved, but uh, basically the lightning that brought him to the twentieth century sent him back to the Hyborian age at the end of it. Blah blah blah. Then someone did a what if of the what if? What if Conan were stranded in the twentieth century, and then this great. 
Bill Sienkiewicz cover with of uh, Conan wearing a horned helmet and pointing a revolver straight at you. It was just like it. It's literally like Conan doing the freeze, like from a cop thing. Mm-hmm. And so, what Conan does in the 20th century is Conan becomes a pimp oh, because that is the closest equivalent to what like life at the, in the Hyborian age would have been like. So Conan becomes a, a literally a pimp. And I was like, wow, that's okay. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty much spot on, but that's, that's where you go with it. That's it. That's we're done. He, be, he's, he's a pimp. He's a thief. He learns how he becomes a drug runner. Conan would go straight to a life of crime, you know, because civilization is more corrupt now than it ever has been. So he would literally be, he would occupy its lowest rung and take over and become a kingpin. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and I've seen that story. It was called breaking bad and it was wonderful. <laughs> So yeah. Marvel comics do Conan and just do good Conan stories. That's all I want from you. I want good Conan stories and I don't want gimmicks. All right. We don't need Wolverine does not need to go to the Hyborian age and, and Conan does not need to visit the X mansion. Yeah. Other than that, I'm doing <laughs> what, what I really liked about those comics and, you know, going back and reading seventies and eighties, Marvel and whatnot is that they worked Conan into the Marvel universe very subtly. There would be things like Conan fought a wizard, and that wizard is defeated, and then he later that wizard, not Conan himself, later shows up in an issue of X-Men because he had been preserved and and whatnot, but, you know, they didn't try to actually have Conan interacting with a lot of the characters, or like even stuff like references to Varney as the original Lord of the Vampires, who was the character that Conan fought. You know, and stuff like that. They 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 just commit. It was subtle. I think Easter eggs are fine. You want to yeah. do some Easter eggs? That's fine. If if somebody in the modern age finds Thoth Amon's ring and and gets supernatural abilities or brings up a skulker that Doctor Strange has to fight or you know that somebody has to run into, awesome, great. But but it it needs to Conan needs to stay in the Hyborian age. He does not need you know we we, we don't need anything. We, we don't need him in the modern world. Not not really. Yeah. The other character that I feel like was such a part of Marvel for a while that I, I it saddens me that they don't own the rights to is Rom. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I know. We, those of us that grew up reading around the Space Night and playing with the terrible toy. <laughs> it was. It was a <laughs> toy. But, you know, I, I, I got the first issue of the comic book, so I was mm. able to graft a great story onto a <laughs> toy, which is exactly what they were trying to do. But Rom's Rom's fight against the diorates was all over Marvel. For oh yeah, yeah. Several the diorates showed up in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they were they were kind of a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame they can't have it. I know. Yep. So anyway, anyway, I squeed a little bit when I saw the news about Conan going back to Marvel. I'm excited for it. Well, there you go, brother. There, there's my answer. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad to have you back, Mark. I appreciate the succinct answers that you give. <laughs> You know, that sounds like sarcasm. (laughs) No, for me, never. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, you guys know what time it is now. It is time for a five-minute controversy. So, we've talked before about Disney uh, buying Fox. Now... That's it's pretty much a done deal aside from federal regulators. It could still it could still not happen. The question that I put before the three of you today is if it goes through, Disney owns the Fox television and film properties and gets X-Men and Fantastic Four cinematic rights back, should Marvel fold 
the X-Men into the Marvel Universe, or should they let it continue as a separate strand uh, in the movies? So, uh, Mike, why don't we start with you? (laughs) Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I believe the X-Men need to fold into the Marvel Universe. They need to combine. They need to join in. Portal, whatever. I don't care. Beast creates a time portal. I think I shared that meme, even though it was completely wrong with Xavier. Blah. Yeah. Beast and Reed make this portal. All of a sudden, boof. Hey, guys, how's it going? We, we're we from here, but now we're here. How's it going? Let's fight. I want that. Okay. So does it concern you at all that, you know, they have to abandon the continuity that Fox is already developing with the Hell X-Men no. and do something new? Okay. Hell what no. What continuity? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair credit, question. I will give credit where credit is due. Days of Future Past erased the smudge that was on the X-Men cinematic, whatever. It erased the problems. I will give it that. The one after that, I can't even remember. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. I have my issues with it, but overall, will I go back and watch that movie over and over? Yes, I will. And does it lead into further things like the Dark Phoenix later this year? Yes, I cannot wait to see it. But if I have to have that or have the X-Men part of the Avengers and it erases all that, it erases all of it. Just etch a sketch it. Etch a sketch the whole damn thing. Okay. <laughs> Angie, what do you think? I think we talked about this a little bit on um, Thor, maybe. And my opinions haven't changed so much. I I kind of think tonally it would be problematic to fold them in. But I kind of have this half thought that the X-Men, there's too much going on. Mm. Like, we're already having kind of a power creep problem, I think, with Marvel. And folding in the X-Men, I don't know, just the the original X-Men trilogy kind of had the issue, too. There were so many characters doing so many things. It got so chaotic. I don't know. I kind of just, I I like them as separate worlds, and I think folding them in could give you some really cool moments, but overall I just think it would be too problematic. Mark? Well, I'm on the record uh, as saying I think that they, they should be separate and stay separate. There are approximately 75,000 mutant characters in the X-Men universe. <laughs> if you include all of the alternate timeline versions of, of Phoenix, of uh, Cable, of Scott Summers, if you fold in all the Morlocks, all the different iterations of Magneto, it's just this, just uh, the 75 different versions of the Beast, it's, it's, a, it's craptastically overcrowded. And w- what made the first movie work I have to I have to play history here for just a second, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it it gets credit for really kind of jump starting the idea of, of the superhero uh, movie from the Marvel universe that that's that that didn't suck, right? I mean, right. Blade didn't count because we don't have you don't have to explain to anybody what a vampire is or vampire hunters. I mean, Blade was great, and if you watch Blade, you're like, you know, this holds up, and Blade Three is fun, you know. But if you if you you know those those the, really, the Matrix was the one that kind of said superhero movies are possible now, and then the, and then the X Men came out, and we all held our breath because we were. I was all I was envisioning Nick Fury played by David Hasselhoff. I was envisioning <laughs> Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk, and I was envisioning Biker Thor and Daredevil in a ninja costume with a with a blindfold on. Uh, and I thought, oh God, this better not. And then that trailer came out, and they hadn't finished all the CGI 
on the on the Statue of Liberty fight, and 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 you could almost see the wires that were holding Hugh Jackman up as he swung around mm-hmm. the, the spine, and I thought, oh no! And then I and then we watched it. And it was like, okay, it, it didn't suck. It, it you know it didn't suck. And then the second one came out, and you were like, dude, oh finally, oh my god, this is awesome. And then the third one came out, and you were like, ah. <laughs> he went through all my emotions. They, 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 they had it, and then they lost it. And and by that time, you know, we'd had a Spider-Man one, and a Spider-Man two, and a Daredevil, and we'd also had an Electra and a Catwoman. You know, right. and there was just, you know, so uh, they, they kind of took their place in, in this echelon. Uh, I agree that Days of Future Past fixed the problem of X three, but now they're going to give us Dark Phoenix, and you know, is it the Dark Phoenix that we always wanted? I don't know if anyone actually asked for that, but they're trying to hit all these big high notes on the X-Men franchise when, frankly, I think the television series are doing a a demonstrably better job of giving us the X-Men world uh, without having to go big, you know, and that's what we're going to be talking about anyways, but I think that the smart thing to do for for what Angie uh, said, you know, she, you know the 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 power creep would be too much. And also, I think it would shortchange the incredibly good work that's being done on Agents of Shield and developing the the Inhumans. Now, I understand that they don't want to go. You know, the Inhumans was always a bluff, but boy, did they turn that that sow's ear into a silk purse, man. <laughs> This season of, of the uh, of Marvel's Agents of Shield is the best one to date, and it's and, and they're in space fighting the Kree. Oh ah, my God! Yes, I'm not caught up. <laughs> oh, oh, do you, are you not watching that yet? I'm not watching it live, so I'm not caught up. It's oh okay. Right. You're fine. Well, well, spoiler. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not that big of a spoiler because there's a lot of blue. There's a lot of people blue in the uh, in the in yeah. the in the pictures. It's a bigger spoiler for those of us who are wondering what the end of season four meant and had to wait around for season five. But if you if you just binge watch it at some point and go straight from four to five, it's not that big of a spoiler. Well, no, it's just the most recent season. I haven't watched any of five. In any in any case, you know, I, the, the, it, the, doing the, doing it that way, shoving the X Men in, it screws up the Marvel universe. It screws up the X Men universe that they've built. The only way to do it would be, you know, and, then, and there may be there may be some brilliant way to, to all of a sudden convert. I don't know, you know, jeez. Uh, what what seismic event do you do that that causes mutants to suddenly appear that are different from Inhumans as they as they've made them uh, show up? That's not uh, hackneyed and cliched. I I really I just feel like it it, it would it, let Fox be Fox, and that's incidentally probably how they're going to avoid monopoly accusations and antitrust violations is to let Fox continue to operate as a subsidiary of Disney. This allows them to do R-rated superhero movies without tarnishing the mouse because they can't do R-rated movies because of the mouse uh, and so they but, but those are money makers. That's the whole reason why Fox is attractive to them. So if 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 it sticks and they can keep it, they're going to probably keep them as a separate separately owned piece of the overall Disney family of brands. 
and 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 then and then that's then your problem is solved because now you can keep doing those those wacky Deadpool crossovers that everybody wants. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if Spider-Man and Deadpool met because they're the same character, see? So it's like, oh boy. But then but then you know, at that point it's just a a, a walk down the hallway to the legal team going, hey, can we use Spider-Man and Deadpool 4? Yeah, send us the paperwork. Okay. You're not going to mess anything up, are you? No, no, no. We're, gonna, we're not going to kill him. Oh, okay. Good then. There we go. And and that that solves the problem w- without tarnishing what they've done. I feel like they finally got the X-Men on track here in in on the small screen. And, I, and, and I'm kind of looking forward to Dark Phoenix, but I'm really looking forward to New Mutants. Holy smoke. Can't wait. So um yeah let's let's run with that let's let let's let the days of future past timeline cuz that's what this feels like isn't it the beginning of the the beginning of the days of future past timeline all the big guys are in hiding they've got the second stringers and the B team on the run you know i just i just mike i like you i just think you're wrong <laughs> It's well, okay. there's a it's lot okay. of things at play here, because, I mean, Kevin Feige, whose star has risen pretty high off of the MCU and its phenomenal success, has said that he wants the X-Men in his wheelhouse. How much authority and ability that he has to do that, I don't know. So that that's all internal Disney politics, and I don't know how that's going to work out. I definitely want the Fantastic Four to go into the MCU, so um, I, I that's why I didn't even include them in the discussion, because I think everyone agrees the Fantastic Four would be fine in the MCU. And yes, we're in a, complete agreement. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> they would do a much better job with it than Fox has. But uh, but yeah, I mean, with the X-Men, it's and I'll tell you what, what event will happen, Mark, and that event is called a reboot to restart the MCU from the ground up with X-Men having always been there. They could try to shoehorn it in as a soft reboot, but that'll feel like really, really false. But in some form of reboot is uh, what they will, what they would do to do that. So I don't particularly want it. I think the MCU has been established pretty firmly with, and and I feel like anything they do with X-Men will, uh, will, will, will damage it um, because they've pretty much replaced the X-Men with the Inhumans. But, you know, I don't know how the politics on that works out, um, and I don't know what they will ultimately decide, but I'd like to keep them as a separate brand with their own continuity. I just want Disney to step in and cut the schlock that nobody wants, like the Gambit standalone movie or the Multiple Man standalone movie and all that garbage, and just let them focus on, you know, the one, you know, stuff like X-Men, New Mutants, Deadpool, you know, Wolverine, because they're going to recast him, we know that have it as a separate thing because you know and that's the other thing even in the comics even though they're all under marvel the x-men are always acting like they're in their own universe anyway so that's right that's right nobody likes us we're just gonna go hang out at the mansion yeah <laughs> right and the other part of that is they can still use the idea of a multiverse if they ever want to do the avengers and x-men movie you know because it will make a ton of money they could always like have like there's some interdimensional portal or something so that the characters can meet for this oh, one movie oh no Beast's <laughs> fault Beast causes gonna, all this shit if they if they if they use the infinity gauntlet to rework this i am going to lose my <laughs> I, I don't believe it for a second i've heard other I people say flip that flip out like a ninja and throw stars into every Everyone's neck. Uh, look, look, Mark. Here's the thing. 
turn the deal time. doesn't even finalize until the middle of 2019 by then avengers 4 has already come out they're not going to rewrite avengers 4 which has already been written years ago to yeah. include the x-men in there on, on something that the regulators could bust apart anyway that's very true, and actually, that's one thing that uh, this—the the one piece that this the terrible article that I read online got right—was don't expect an X-Men cameo scene in any Marvel movies before 2020. Mm-hmm. So good, good. L- let him have a couple years to, to sort it out, and maybe Feige, when he says wants him in his wheelhouse, maybe he just all he meant by that is he he wants to be the one to develop the the series going forward. Mm-hmm. I could live with that. Like, you know, basically do with Spider-Man what they did with the X-Men. You know, we don't need to know anything outside of, like, let's just start, restart X-Men with the mansion. Xavier's got the school, you know, instead of uh, Wolverine, the new recruit is Kitty Pride. So we have that emphasis switch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You could, you could, I would, I would love to see them redo that for the Marvel Universe. And I think that would be great. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. You know, I think Feige's got his finger on how to how to make this stuff work and how to make it sing. But yeah, oh, I, you know, there, and, and and if it doesn't come to pass and all of this suddenly starts sucking, I'm not going to complain. You know, because I never I never expected in my wildest dreams to get two and a half Hulk movies. I never expected I'd get a Captain America trilogy that makes me tear up every time I watch it. <laughs> I never. There, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed in that regard as a, as a, as an elder fanboy that, uh, that if it suddenly starts sucking, I'm gonna go. Well, it was bound to happen sooner or later, yeah. and 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 then I'll just, you know, go. Uh, I'll play more Dungeons and Dragons online, <laughs> or or whatever it is we do when we're, you know, you know, when, when we need to recharge the old geek batteries. Sure. All right, well, I think that uh, we need to put a cap on it here. Um, That went over five minutes, so... (laughs) Those controversies just (laughs) keep on going. I am am shocked, sir, that this went on for more than five minutes. (laughs) Well, still quicker than five questions. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's um, uh, pause for a moment for this promo from another five podcast. My name is Brian Foster. Everything you know is wrong. Got that? Now, the reason that I'm calling is because I have begun to suspect you don't have any ladybugs in your freezer. Hey cuz, Roy here. So about your car. The darkness was never empty. There's this presence in my head. But I'm pretty sure that the book was confiscated by cats. You're damn right we find a lot of bodies when Foster is around. And some people call me... The Night Blogger.
And we're back. And this week, as we've sort of alluded to uh, in the five-minute controversy, we are talking about The Gifted, which yes. is <laughs> which is the uh, new television series on Fox that uh, debuted uh, in this season that dealt with the, I'd almost call them third-string... Uh, X-Men characters that they could that they knew for sure were never going to be in a movie but uh, has pulled in a lot of the kinds of uh, it's it's a lot of the tropes that have been part of the mutant universe since pretty much Claremont's days and have made the X-Men popular and following two teenagers that um, discover their mutant powers as per normal, but in a much darker turn than we normally see instead of them finding a nice school somewhere where they can be trained in the use of their powers, they are instantly on the run and have to team up with other mutants who are on the run and it's a, it's a pretty exciting uh, you know TV show. And first my first question, and this is just for my own, uh, knowledge here because the the series was developed by a guy named Matt Nix who uh, I already knew from uh, a show called Burn Notice and yes. just uh, okay out of curiosity who has seen Burn Notice oh oh Mr. Cutter <laughs> I have to keep looking up I... Jason's name because I just call him Jesse okay yes yeah no, same with me <laughs> Mike have, have you seen Burn Notice also loved it wish yeah. I had more of it yeah and, and of course the the grandma I always call Maddie. Mama right. In fact, it was so weird, like, my wife and I were talking to each other after we were watching the, the two-part finale, and when she was on screen, I was like, it's weird for her to not have, like, a cigarette in each hand, you know, <laughs> like, puffing away, like, yep. like bitching, a at, bitching at Michael. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> Oh Michael. man, I, I, that's the one. Help. That's the one actor I really would love for them to get. Is uh, what was his name? Jeffrey Damn. Donovan, I think, uh, who played Michael yeah. Weston. Well, he's on a Hulu series right now. Right, that's that's right. fantastic. Highly recommended. I would love to see him in all the things because he's he was a phenomenal actor. But yes, it's it is the Burn Notice um, reunion television show because we have the two of them. We have Simon. The villain Simon, who's the the guy from Trask Industries, yep. uh, in this, and uh, who was also a Terminator in the Saracona Chronicles. For those keeping track at home, but anyway, <laughs> all right. So, uh, <laughs> for those who didn't watch Burn Notice, this is just us nattering on. But I was just curious if you guys had seen it too. <laughs> yeah, it's been there. There have been several oh cool moments, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the um, pilot when you know I was already like trying to go like, hold on a second. Oh, he had, oh, yeah, that's a chessy. And then it was like, it's Vampire Bill. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of geek moments in the, in the two part, uh, or not in the two part, but in the, uh, in the, in the opening, the first episode. Oh, and the Stan Lee cameo coming out of the well bar. Done. Very well done. <laughs> yes. yes. Love Lovely. Lovely. Uh, it's come to a point, there was a period of time, um, after like the first few Marvel movies, about the time like Fantastic Four 2 came out the rise of the silver surfer where i was getting really sick of the stan lee cameos because they seemed to be getting like really dumb and then like we sort of passed a hurdle and then suddenly all the stan lee cameos you know starting say about you know 2010 ish or so have been like perfect yeah <laughs> i've loved every yeah. single one of them so yeah i'm yeah, always I, happy to see I, I do like the everyman and now of course thanks to guardian to the galaxy i am i now i realize he's uatu the watcher you know <laughs> <laughs> just just checking in <laughs> all right good deal yeah all right so 
X-Men and X-Men sort of themed show. Let's let's start with uh, you, Angie. Um, what is your background with the X-Men? So I didn't read comic books as a kid, um, but my uncle gave me like a set of trading cards. There's this enormous like 400 piece set of Marvel trading cards that had like character bios and little synopses of various um, comic arcs. Mm-hmm. So I had those taken totally out of context since I never read any comics. And then the cartoon I watched religiously. And then, yeah, just the movies, basically. I haven't really caught up on the comics. I've read a couple here and there, but I haven't made a concerted effort to keep up with it. You know, it's interesting that you say that because that's the same way that I came to Marvel is through the trading cards and not because I own them, but my friends would have these sets of Marvel cards and I used to look through them when I'd be at their house. You know, different yeah, friends. <laughs> and and I would read through them and read about the different storylines and different characters and different power sets and it kind of primed me for when those cartoons started coming out. I was like, oh, these are the characters I was reading about and then it got me even more interested to read actual comics and so it kind of spiraled out that way. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, Mike, how about you? What's your uh, background with the X-Men? Oh, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're familiar. I just don't know how. Well, the X-Men 90s TV show. Okay. That, that was my introduction to the X-Men. I fell in love with Morph. The whole twist with Morph was actually alive, working for Sinister. As a little kid, I think in terms of today's use, it was a mind-blowing exper- experience. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, I look at my uncle. I'm like, oh, Jeff, it's, it's Morph. He's like, I know. I see him, too. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but ever since then, X-Men's probably been the, been the only Marvel comic I have stayed in contact with to understand all the mythos behind every character all the subsets where x factor is now my team they are my team they are my government run team thank you i'm that's my x factor i love multiple man i love what he does and everything but now havoc polaris and polaris is not it was my first x-men crush she was it like, oh, Jean Grey saw it. Please, have you checked out this green-haired chick? She is amazing. <laughs> I was about to ask <laughs> if it was the green hair. <laughs> all green hair. All of it. <laughs> Lauren is hot. I, 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 I agree. Mm-hmm. No questioning it. Alright, so uh, Mark, I know you've gone on the record before talking about being a comics reader way back and even delving into back issues whenever you could find them, but is, is the X-Men a series that, you know, you've been uh, into? Is it one of your primary, you know, interests, or, or is it one that you, I, I know you're familiar with the X-Men, but, you know, or is it one that you've, uh, you know, just kind of sort of partially kept up with? Growing up, uh, it was a primary influence for me uh, because I was reading it during the Burn Claremont issues. So I was there for the first real character death, you know, uh, of a major character. I mean, that was, mm. you know, that was huge. And so um, going from, you know, I, so I come into the X-Men at, a little, I mean, I, you know, 94 was a tough one to get, but, you know, I, I was eventually able to re- read it in reprints. I come into the X-Men in about issue 108, mm. and I left, and, and, and it's about that time that the X-Men had gone through a lot, and they had, uh, they were losing, they had lost some of their powers and, and lost some of their, you know, there was some, some personnel changes, and 
Scott was questioning whether or not he was fit to lead the team and the, the you know some of the characters powers had spiked and it was this really you know conflicted time for the X-Men and when I left the X-Men they had gone through a lot and there'd been some character changes and Scott was questioning whether or not he was fit to lead the team and and I and and I and I and I recognized the loop I recognized the wheel and certainly Claremont over the years you know sort of well, if 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 ten million children tell you you are a genius, you'll eventually believe it. Um, <laughs> you just will. They're, they're, somewhere around million two, you'll be like, you know what? Maybe I am a genius. I don't know. <laughs> but so I got out of reading the X Men religiously around two hundred when Magneto decided that he was going to lead the team instead of Professor X, who had mm-hmm. died. This was the second time Charlie died. Uh, I forget how many times he's died since then. And so, you know, I, I, I was able, I, I could see the glue seams. I could see the, you know, I, I could see how the sausage was made and, and, and realize that this was never going to, it just did, didn't hold together for me. I did keep up with it as a comic book, as a comic shop worker through the 90s. Uh, until I basically quit comics for a, a couple of years to sort of get my sanity back. And so, you know, there've been pieces of the X-Men that I have read since then for one reason or another, you know, like, uh, when Cassidy was drawing, uh, the X-Men, I was reading that cause I like, cause John's a buddy and, uh, also, you know, I wanted to see what Whedon would do with it. You know, there've been, um, yeah, there, there, there were crossovers and some special events. I read the house of M thing that Bendis did. I read some of the, uh, some of the ultimates universe stuff. Uh, and so, you know, I was, I was familiar with them in, in, in that context, but, um, I think the X-Men uh, for in the eighties in particular and, and early nineties were, were kind of like the manga of the Marvel universe in that, you know, when you discover it, it's, it's all consuming and there's this massive backstory and you don't know everything, but everybody's so interesting and you don't know if they're going to get together or not. And, and why is she still sad? I mean, uh, didn't, didn't they break up like, like five issues ago? And, you know, it, it just becomes this relationship soap opera kind of a deal that I suddenly realized I just wasn't interested in anymore. That said, you know, there are certain characters that have always been real close to me personally as uh, a comic book reader. And it includes most of the Burn era X-Men, you know, from uh, Colossus to Banshee, Wolverine, Storm, you know, uh, all of that. I wasn't really, I went back and reread the original X-Men and found it to be kind of a ham-fisted metaphor, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, let me get this straight. Teenagers are misunderstood. Wow. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Stan. I would have never, I would have never picked up on that. You know, I thought Spider-Man did a better job of, of conveying that. But as the X-Men have have come now to stand to symbolize the outsider, always the outsider. You know, it, it, you know, one of the best things in X two is you know when Bobby's mother says, "Can you try just not being a mutant?" <laughs> you know, and now in in um. In Gifted, we're seeing mutants held without due process. We're seeing mutants held in maximum security prisons. We're seeing mutants forcibly yanked out of their homes by government agents. It's not hard to see the political allegory here. You know what I mean? It's it's. I mean, in fact, they, they go out of their way to point out to you what that is. So I think X-Men is a perfect delivery system for that kind of story. And I think 
as a teenager, you you need that kind of you need a story where the teenagers are smarter than the adults and it's okay to rebel. I think that's part of developmentally what what we all seek as as younger readers. I, I grew past that and but but I have not I've never downplayed the value of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's what I wanted to know is how you know I mean how if each of you had a a sort of background with the X Men and sort of you know a feel for this as being part of that sort of greater idea of the X Men even though it's not based on any particular comic um, and and just uses certain characters uh, fairly loosely um, inspired by uh, the comics. But you know you, you bring up a point um, that I'd like to throw open to everybody about being okay to rebel and the kids being smarter than the parents because we, we have the two we have the brother and sister team here in the show as our uh, I, I hesitate to say main characters because the this show is a real ensemble and I don't I think several of the adult characters are also main characters but certainly the the uh, identification figures for the younger people in the audience which is Lauren and Andy Strucker and uh, we kind of see the two ways the, of reacting to what's happening to them and, and sort of typically in the X-Men universe through the two of them. We have Lauren, who, uh, even though, you know, all this horrible stuff has happened to her, you know, takes the road of, you know, we've got to be better than the people who oppose us. And we've got Andy, who's basically saying, you know, fight fire with fire and, you know, do to them what they do to us. And so I, I was just kind of curious, you know, about that and how, how people feel with, about that, because I know a lot of people haven't really liked Andy from some of the comments that I've been reading on uh, Facebook. But, you know, how do you guys feel about the twins and how do you feel about the message that sort of Mark was talking about? So, so conflicted. I definitely feel like Andy's right. But I also feel that Laura's right, too. And I, I feel like the cuckoos definitely got into his head. definitely got in there and and that just keeps that's that's bugging me in the back of my mind like man andy's right wait a minute is this andy talking or is this the cuckoos talking what's going on i mean i don't think he's thinking for himself i I see i think it's important for both lorna and for andy that those decisions are their own and i think that they're real reactions that people could have i mean we've seen it happen we've seen it happen in history In, in any you know group where people are mistreated or you know, and, and, and they turn into a rebellion or resistance movement or, you know, even if you want to call them terrorists or whatever, you know, a lot of times what happens is it starts with things like this. You know, a group is treated poorly, you know, violently. And then they, they you know, there are some who say, uh, we're not going to take this anymore. So I, I do, I, at least from my standpoint, even though I can see why you say that, I think it's important that the decisions have to actually be his. Yeah, it's just... I feel I definitely feel like that nudge from Emma was definitely more of a push instead of just just like that whisper in the ear. Not not the her eyes went blue and complete mind control. It's just she hit the right button. And with Andy, like the whole time, there hasn't been a moment with Andy that I felt that he was calm. Mm hmm. Just, I mean, from his bullying all the way to getting his powers all the way to now having his ability and. I, I and we and there was always that fear that even the grandfather had when when grandpa was was just like which one like how are how's Andy and and Lorna uh, how are they or Laura how are they doing 
like uh well they're doing okay it's like okay well who's flipping out more it's like what do you mean dad like never mind never mind i'm like hmm which one's andre hmm i wonder which one and like definitely andre is the more dominant of the siblings and andy is definitely proving that so i always i felt that andy was gonna was gonna go that way but i was really hoping he was gonna stay calm but no no that didn't happen so angie what about you and do you feel that i don't know do you feel that the kids are smarter than the adults in this um not necessarily smarter than the adults the adults i think are kind of still stuck in i think all of them are kind of still stuck in feeling that they're in a fair universe and the kids i think break free quicker than the adults but i think they're all equally dumb at different times and equally smart at different times as to andy you know i i hate andy but i think that he was the more realistically portrayed teenager i I mean i feel like lauren's actual superpower was being like preternaturally well adjusted I don't she, like even her conflicts were like for real like she she just seemed to, to be too well adjusted and Andy he's a 15 year old kid who was bullied and then became a bully and kind of fell under the sway of some hot blondes like I, I kind of expected him to be reading the fountainhead at some point and screaming at his mom about how libertarianism wasn't just a phase like he seems like a very realistic 15 year old to me yes unfortunately realistic 15 year olds kind of suck yeah 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 i i had i had i thought of it that way i hadn't thought of it that way at all but yeah lauren is uh his his sister is i mean she gets a boyfriend for crying out loud she goes to the mutant camp and hooks up right. i mean what are you what, what are you doing you know oh and she's the one that that you know had the powers and and you know apparently her powers were not as freak outable as his powers. Mm. I don't know. I don't know why those two, why she should suddenly be the calmer one when she was, I don't know. I, there's a, there's a weird dichotomy there that I, I agree with you. I, th- I think they're both realistically portrayed. I don't think she fully understands yet kind of what's at stake. And I think Andy does. And I think Andy, I think, I think Andy's the cynical one. Of the, two, of the of the two of the of the of the siblings and i think being cynical is part of what is uh, is so to me in- interesting about this world because it's not it's it's sort of pre-dystopian isn't it mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody else has a life you know what i mean like you know you can go to the park and eat a hot dog and see a movie and blah, unless you're a mutant you know and if, and if they find out you know then the guys show up in the in the analogy for the for the KKK robes, or the the analogy for uh, ICE kicks your door in, or whatever. But right up until then, everything's normal, and uh, and and so um, there's a, there's a real in- it's it's very interesting to see how as they go deeper down the rabbit hole, that they're the ones to well, and I guess that's true of teens. I think I think I think kids adjust quicker. To, to things like this than adults do because you know the adults have been living sh- they're, they're they're the more sheltered of the of the group at least the, par- the parents are and uh, they're only just now starting to figure out you know these these aren't yeah they they've got superpowers but they're also just regular people who are scared and you know don't deserve to be imprisoned and and whatnot so and, and and by the way, those notes, those tonal notes that are in just about every episode are part of what makes this so good and part of what makes the writing so nuanced and part of what makes it 
all the more reason why because here's the deal the marvel universe is is not exploring this at all you know I, 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 you know for the marvel universe it's an age of miracles and wonders and it's only the government that is a little worried about everything most everybody else in the marvel universe thinks captain america's cool and thinks and, and is excited that luke cage is in harlem and you know and thinks that and, and thinks daredevil uh, has the right idea and spider-man is is pretty all right only in a, in the in the mutant books in the marvel universe and in the comics were the mutants ever persecuted that never spilled over to the rest of the marvel universe another thing i always thought was just kind of stupid how the, how the beast can be in, in the X-Men and be feared and then go join the Avengers and become a sex symbol and have a fan club. Well, the thing is, uh, after you and I stopped reading, Mark, they had Civil War, which kind of was that spilling over into the, the rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. You're, you're right. Historically, it hasn't been that way. Historically, it hasn't been that way. Civil War did finally address it, and I thought Civil War addressed it badly. You know, uh, so there you go. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a hard time taking Lauren uh, seriously, only because every time she's on screen, my wife and I go, save the cheerleader, save the world. Because she <laughs> <laughs> she um, she could win a Hayden Penetier uh, lookalike contest um, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> as, someone, as someone over the age of 40, I'm really not allowed to comment on that, but... <laughs> Let me just say this as neutrally and as uncreepily as possible. I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> right. But yeah, I see Claire whenever I see her on screen. But uh, sure. Yeah. But um, no, I, I mean, the thing is, and here's the funny thing. I mean, when it happened, when the turn happened, I was like, well, geez, I expected Andy to do this like seven episodes ago because all the signs were there. But I think in a way it was kind of nice that they had the back and forth because there were scenes where it looked like he was going to go like full mutant terrorist. And then, you know, he'd talk with his dad and there would be a moment and then they would be on good terms and he was playing along and everything. And I was like, you know, it is a bit much, though, to think that a 15 year old is going to be so determined in a particular thing that he thought of that he's going to write his manifesto and go off, you know, uh, on his on his on a on a rampage uh you know, uh, right off the bat. So, in a way, I think it probably was good that they saved it for the finale when he has others that kind of shield him from the decision because they're all making the same decision, too. Because I do think that that's a little more realistic, um, you know, because also teenagers like to be in a herd. Yeah, and they were, cert- they were certainly building towards that, you know, that that was also a slow creep in the series as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think ultimately it was a very realistic depiction of what would happen if two teenagers were put uh, into that kind of situation. Although Lauren probably is just a little too perfect. But the other the other thing about the twins that I wanted to mention because I was saying this from day one with a name like Strucker. Oh, they've got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) No, the name like Strucker, I was like, are they implying Fenris here? And then, of course, the show reveals, you know, who's the grandparent, you know, and and they went into the whole idea of Fenris and, you know, uh, uh, the twin powers and everything. And uh, I I felt very vindicated by that, but I also thought that that was an interesting way of going with it and trying to even tie them into a greater mythology of the being part of the Hellfire Club. And, you know, uh, like Andy was saying, they were trying to, like, establish, like, a community for mutants, which I'm sure they'll explore in a a later season. Well, exactly 
exactly what was going on there. So I, I loved all of that. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's really anything to ask about it other than that the, the fanboy in me squeed a little bit. Well, I think I, what I'm curious about is we have two movies coming up. Deadpool doesn't count. Uh, we have new we have New Mutants and Dark Phoenix, and you know I I'm really interested because they've intentionally left uh, the timeline vague. They on purpose, you know, to give them room to wiggle and room to maneuver. I think that's really smart. I like the fact that we've gotten name drops about Magneto, Professor X, and the X-Men. And even a hint that the X-Men told them, look, do this while we're doing whatever. I mean, those mm-hmm. it's been it's been it's been great to know that that that, that is a that is that it's connected. I'd like at some point for them and and you know they could even they could do it online. They could do it at the beginning of a movie or at the beginning of season two, it'd really be nice for for them to just sort of iron out the sequence of events. It would be really good just because for no other reason than I don't think every time an X Men movie comes out, I, I go into I go into watch it and I watch it pretty much the same way that I watched the first one. I hope this doesn't suck. That's my, that's kind of my man, my mantra. You know, I just I just don't want this to suck. Because there is not there are there or ever since Days of Future Past and they did X Men First Class, there's been this weird sort of non continuity. Like yeah, uh, it, it's sort of shifting, and 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 I know that you've wanted to recast the Beast as not Kelsey Grammer, and that's great. But but the scene at the end of Future Past where you know Patrick Stewart's in the chair and and Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and and they brought back uh, what's his name for Cyclops um, uh, James Marsden you know it, it was very obviously the apology for X three and you know that's it's all it was really uh, it was Brian Singer going sorry I left you guys I thought Superman Returns was a better bet I was wrong thank you. Thank you, thank you. But at this point, we're now three movies down the road, four, uh, if you count five, if you count the last two Wolverines. And I, and we're no closer to knowing where everything is. It's pretty clear that I hope, I don't know if we're going to get another season of Legion or not, I, but Legion clearly set the tone for yeah. Wolverine and the, new, and the New Mutants. Yeah, season two of Legion starts in April, actually. Oh, oh so they did renew it. Good. Yes. So, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that fits in into here as well. And my suspicion, uh, totally unfounded and with no help from anybody in the audience, is that at the end of Dark Phoenix, we're going to it's going to reveal that the events in Dark Phoenix are what kick off what's been happening on TV. No, that's been a nice suspicion as well, that, yeah. they've, that they've kind of planned Dark Phoenix as kind of a coda on this new line of movies, and that it's right. going to leave the X-Men in a kind of limbo state or whatever, um, and and sort of allow them to have this sort of open universe for mutants, so that they can sort of have their TV properties in that space, where, you know, because it's, it's hard for the TV and movies to really cross over, because of how far ahead you have to plan movies. And yeah. so uh, kind of give them that sort of bubble to operate in. So that's right. that's what I've been thinking too. Okay. Well so so we're not we're not you and me aren't off uh by, by much in this uh estimation of things. No. Uh that's good. I don't know, Mike, what do you think? You, you know, Angie, are, are do you guys does does this lack of continuity bother you guys at all or I mean I mean where where do you, where do you stand on this because uh 
I, I've I've given up trying to stitch it together. I can't. <laughs> well, the problem is, even though I'm Days of Future, even though Days of Future Past was supposed to fix the continuity, the problem is even First Class, which happens before Wolverine goes back in time in First Class or in uh, in Days of Future Past, uh, had all sorts of continuity errors with X Men, uh, the original X Men movies. So it was like they they never got the continuity right at Fox. It, it was. No. It was really it's like, problematic. It's like every movie, we're restarting from right. scratch. Okay, whatever. All right. Fine. However you, however you need to do it. I, I am always curious how much the continuity stuff matters to people. So uh, so what about you, Mike? It's X-Men. It's, the movies are following the same as comics. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it was crazy because I had the same continuity errors with First Class. I'm like, all right, First Class. All right, Havoc. N- no. N- no, that's not what you do. There's no angel. There's no beast, or or it was beast. I'm like, what 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 is going on here in this f-ing movie? So I always have an issue with the quote unquote lineup for an X Men movie because it's not exactly the lineup that you know we expected from the first class. I mean, who the hell is Angel? This mosquito winged looking butterfly. I don't even know what the hell she is. We're, we're talking about the continuity between the movies though, um, about how First Class contradicts some of the things that were even in the, the you know, the, the Brian Singer X-Men films, and then, yeah. you know, how, how Days of Future Past was supposed to fix things, but even that doesn't line up with stuff that they've been doing in Apocalypse and whatnot, so, so how do you feel about that? It's the same. It falls to comic books. It's hard to follow. Okay. <laughs> there's there's nothing to follow. Okay. Because they're, cause in the current X-Men lineup, they... Uh, it was actually maybe a year or two ago that they brought in the children, the young Cyclops, young Jean, young Bobby Beast was trying to figure out, trying to stop Cyclops from being, you know, a bad guy. And he's like, hmm, maybe if he talks to his younger self. Wait, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to open up a portal to the back of the time. I'm going to pull the old X-Men, the original kid versions. And Cyclops is going to talk to his younger self to get him back in line. Oops, I can't put him back in the timeline. They are stuck here. My bad. Like, what the f***? I, 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 I almost ripped up my comic book. What am I reading? So, honestly, the movies are following the continuity exactly like the comics. And I will give Fox that. That they're following in line with the comics. It's the first time they've done it. It's a terrifying thought. Yes, it is! <laughs> yeah, I guess I hail from a simpler time when all the Marvel stuff made sense. Um, <laughs> or when they did have issues, then, like, a writer would be like, ah, I can fix this, and would write a story that fixed it. So, you know, I guess. Poor linear me. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's what I expect. All right, Angie, uh, what about you? I am trying to think if I ever... I never think I even thought to expect continuity. Like, it just... <laughs> So I just expected some things to be off. I never expected that not, there not to be plot holes or discontinuity at all. Fair enough. All right. Um. So moving back to the gifted. Um. So we have our parents. Uh, as Reed Strucker and Caitlin Strucker. Of course, Caitlin is played by the wonderful, always wonderful Amy Acker, who I have been very happy to see in this movie. But uh, Reed is actually kind of an interesting character because he spent most of his life, or I guess his professional life, prosecuting mutants. You know, and we get into the whole idea of breaking the law, but, you know, how 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 easily is it that people you know, say that the mutants are breaking the law and sort of the moral gray area there and turned into the, uh, you know, having his role reversed and having to protect his children. So it was an interesting thing to do 
I don't think that they've really capitalized enough on Reed's background, you know, other than some of the characters at the, at the, you know, refugee uh, camp, uh, you know, the resistance, uh, you know, kind of being like, well, you used to prosecute mutants and, you know, I don't trust you kind of thing, but I don't really feel like that gray area with him has been explored strongly enough. But uh, just, uh, so what do you guys feel about the Strucker parents? Uh, Angie, let's start with you. I think it's pretty clear that they're setting Reed up to, I don't know if they're going to like activate his X-Gene at some point or what. I think he's going to delve more into his mutant side and probably wake up some powers at some point. I found it interesting at the very end that he identifies as a mutant. Yeah. Think about it. He He's a mutant who's been crippled. You know, just yeah. like if you or I had our arm removed or something, you know, we would be crippled. So I, I found that interesting. Nobody really said anything about it or, or reacted to it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, that's, if that does happen. So I'm interested for that. I actually think they've kind of been underusing Amy Acker. I'm not really sure why. I think she's probably probably the best actor on the show yeah um, yeah i mean she's she's just got this one note kind of she's a, a mom she's everybody's mom yeah I'm, that's all I'm, she's doing and it's so disappointing right. i've got the band-aids she is obsessively trying to keep her world in some semblance of sanity you know, and I think that that works. I mean, I think that that's like a real reaction somebody could have. She wants normal things. There's kids here. They need to go to school. You know, they, they, there needs to be a, a regimen, a, 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 you know, a, 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 something to keep, you know, everyone, you know, just sort of functioning correctly. I also like her relationship with Marcos, um, and I liked the episode where they were together going to the hospital and whatnot, and I thought that that was... And I feel like her reactions, you know, as someone who was never affected by this and sort of the blind eye she turned to it, some of that stuff they did with her in the early episodes was kind of, you know, I think was good because I think that that's also a real reaction. I think that a lot of people, even if they're not you know, involved in any kind of persecution do turn a blind eye to it. I mean, you have Nazi Germany as an example of that. I mean, there's been plenty of stories about, you know, people just turning a blind eye to what was going on around them because it didn't affect them, quote-unquote. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I've, I don't feel like she's... I don't feel like she's just, like, the person who brings out the Band-Aids, I, but I feel like she hasn't been used as much as an actress of her caliber could be. Yeah, it's almost like she's paused. I don't disagree with anything you said, but I just think they haven't gone anywhere with it. Like, she's mm-hmm. just on pause, kind of as this mom who wants things to be normal and kind of feels guilty that she, you know, didn't notice injustice earlier. It is a tough situation to be a parent. As someone with no kids, I understand this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I've absolutely loved... Re- uh, I, I knew Reed. I cannot remember what's her character's name again. Caitlin. Caitlin, yeah. Reed and Caitlin, I absolutely treasure them. And that's my fear that we're going to lose them now. But I know mean, they're integral to the story. But just how the initial reaction of trying to handle it and props to Reed trying to be be his lawyer self. It's like, all right, don't worry. We can handle this. We can handle this. Like, like, nope, we can't handle this. We can't handle this. Let's go. I'm, I'm contacting the back of uh, these, these people. We're going to contact them. We're going to handle it. But yeah, I definitely agree. Caitlin has definitely been the mute is now the mutie mom. She, she's the mom of the clubhouse. Reed. I don't think he's really found his place in that group. Cause even in the last, those last episodes, Caitlin has, when they had to evacuate, Caitlin was on charge. She told that dude to disappear. It's like, Hey, look, hate me later. We need to do this now. I was like, damn, 
Yes, do what she says. Do it now. But with Reed, it's he's so confused because he. I feel like he doesn't know what to do. And I think for me personally, with their characters, the strongest I felt from them as parents was when they went into the agent's house at gunpoint to talk to him and his wife. And, and that mother-to-mother talk, oh, it broke me. Oh, I was like, I, I had my goosebumps going. I'm like, and then she's like, what did you do in our name of our child? I'm like, oh, you can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. And that, oh, God. I mean, that, that opens up a whole other can of worms about exactly what happened there, too. About him, you know, deciding to do the right thing. You know, Agent Turner. And then, you know, what happened because of it was just awful. But, no, I agree with you about the Struckers there. Um, you know, it was... It was powerful as parents i i feel like reed you know it's kind of interesting that he feels like that he can work through the system i kind of am bothered by the fact that their group feels like it has to be like all one way or the other because honestly in a situation like this you've got to use all avenues you know and and so at least trying to use the system to your own advantage is i think good tactics but yeah it's i i i feel like they don't really know what to do with reed yeah i i feel like a lot of i mean because for most of it yeah, they kind of mentioned that he has this contact or that contact, and they use some of his knowledge, but I don't think, I don't feel like they have a really strong through line for him. I mean, what do you think, Mark? Well, I think the, uh, that season one was world building. Season two is when everybody settles into roles, and I expect that Reed and Caitlin are going to end up being support staff for this arm of the X-Men teenage uh, angst-ridden auxiliary, you know? <laughs> They're going to be the ones that provide the structure that the kids need so that the organization doesn't fall apart. You know, I mean, he still has a tactical advantage in that he knows how these guys think. He does still have contacts. She's got uh, an advantage. She, she's got the uh, support down in terms of keeping the kids educated, you know, doing medical stuff, you know, and I think those are perfectly acceptable roles for them in a world where their children can make things explode just by thinking about it. So you've either got to write them out of the story completely, or you've got to fold them in and give them something to do other than react because they were our POV in to the world, weren't they? Especially Reed, really. Mm -hmm. Reed's our POV guy for most of season one. So, you know, if if we're going to keep Reed as the POV guy, Reed's got to become basically their Professor X. Yeah. No, and I've been thinking that for a while, uh, too, is that he's going to become the organizer slash leader of the group. Yeah. Because he's the most probably level-headed of any of them, because even John is, you know, can go off half-cocked under the right circumstances. Now he's got skin in the game because they killed his dad. He's a latent mutant that was was successfully suppressed and and will pro- and and I agree will probably end up developing mutant abilities in season 2. And so um yeah, I think I think him being the tactician for for the group works very well in conjunction with the the teen leaders that they've put together. I've always liked Thunderbird, and I think they the way that they handle Thunderbird's powers are great. Of course, I do keep thinking, Mike. You know, well, he's not long for this. You know, this is going to be the episode where you know he he takes it in the shorts. No, no, uh, no, no. He's a demographic. We can't clip. We can't. We can't no, kill but him. you can you can replace him with his brother. They'll introduce his brother, and he'll be Warpath. Oh. 
and then you have oh, yeah, you, can, no! you still have your demographic. You're not, <laughs> see, you're not. That's the thing right there. You know, as soon as you start saying that, I go, yeah, you're probably right. right. Oh, Warpath can't be brought in. He's gonna slide with Lorna. We we need more on the eclipse side. Oh, we boy, can't get boy. rid of that. All right, but all right, all right. Let's 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 get into this. So first off, I'm gonna talk about. You know, John, uh, uh, Dreamer, whose first name escapes me, I feel bad, but, and Clarice as Blink, (laughs) um, who, uh, you know, kind of form a sort of (sighs) love triangle, for want of a better term, but was kind of frustrating and for half the show, and then they kind of surprised us all by blowing Dreamer away, so. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that shock. For the record, I was totally unsurprised that she got blown away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they clearly wanted Blink and John to be together, which wasn't going to happen with Dreamer around, so yeah, I I guess in a way that does make sense. Poor, poor Jamie Chung. She is trying so hard to expunge Dragon Ball Evolution from her resume <laughs> that she is doing every genre show that she can get her hands on. Like, once upon a time, I'm there. You know, Gotham, I'm there. <laughs> the Gifted, I'm on this show. You know, <laughs> Dreamer, um, Dreamer's powers are are a writer's nightmare. Mm. If she can do that. Why doesn't she do that to everybody they meet? You know what I mean? Like, why? I mean, you know, that's the and and so it's it's probably just as well that they took her out mm. because because you you have to write around a reason why she doesn't do that with every single agent she runs across. You know what I mean? Well, they showed that it takes some time, so I think part of the problem is if you're in a hurry and there's a lot of agents after you, you can try it on one of them, but then the other ones will get you. So I, I, I thought that was the issue there. You only, need, you only need one of them to turn the gun on the other guys. You know, yeah. I mean that's it's it's so I, I I'm uh, I'm okay with it with with it. I also like a show where, especially something like this, where character death gets established fairly early on and i think that makes for a a better more dramatic show so you know good on them well well played yeah i i I hated the love triangle and everything about it i hated the whole oh she put this in my head but i kind of like him and you know all that garbage and i so i thought that i was kind of surprised when they had john and dreamer back together what are you? What are you? What are you kidding me? That's vintage X Men, man. Yeah. <laughs> vintage K- K- Kitty, Kitty and Colossus. Will they or won't they? Yeah. Scott and Gene. Scott and Gene and 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 Logan. Oh my God. Well, I I want to feel that you know when you know as time progresses that we're all maturing here and so we can tell more mature storylines. But maybe maybe that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> but... When it's teens on the run from the government, I'm afraid not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> like you, I I really did like uh, how they did Thunderbird's power set. I like him as a character. He's very earnest and forthright, and you know you you need that kind of character in any kind of uh, a team based show. I think you know Blink uh, skittish like she was originally in the comics at first, and sort of developing more into uh, you know a, a a stronger character as the series progressed, and sort of finding her feet and her reason for wanting to fight and wanting to be part of all this. So I liked that because you know somebody who just doesn't want to be involved and wants to run away makes perfect sense. And yeah, Dreamer, I I didn't really care for her because I don't like that kind of a power. Where you, and not just for the writing reasons, but because I feel like somebody who does that, somebody who changes memories around, and I mean, even what she did to Agent Turner, who's an awful person, that 
she it, it's just wrong i mean it's just fundamentally morally wrong to you know to edit people's memories like that so never really cared for her but i was interested to see how it would develop angie any thoughts about uh, this group the love triangle yeah i figured she was doomed pretty early on because she she gave blink this memory and she had no remorse and it was it was she's she knows who she is she's dedicated to this cause she's dedicated to her friends she's she knows what she's willing to do there's nowhere for her to go character wise from there there's no conflict for her she's not i mean john's kind of the same but he's trying to become this leader and he's struggling with thinking he was entrusted with something he didn't deserve and so he's got conflict um she didn't she just she was there's solid rock which meant she had to go at some point so you know i didn't mind her i thought she was interesting i like the actress my only real problem with it is i didn't think they were going to put um thunderbird and blink together so quickly i thought there would be a lot of angst about you know this is not really my memory and it seems really weird and kind of wrong to get together when she died three days ago well yeah i mean it seems especially for him like you should be in mourning you know and it's like oh i'm gonna make out with this girl she's willing (laughs) yeah so that was that was kind of bizarre to me but otherwise nathan uh, we all grieve in our own way okay (laughs) it's true so some people need a makeout session to grieve okay these uh, you know i'm not no i'm there's no judgment here no judgments it's comfort (laughs) i mean Jamie Chung, I, I I adore Jamie Chung. She can she can stay on my screen as long as she wants, and so can uh, so can the guy playing Thunderbird. He's great. So I don't have any complaints there, but it did seem really rushed and a little off putting because uh, maybe that's because I've been to watch the season, but it just seemed like no time passed at all. Yeah, yeah. Another interesting thing about Thunderbird that they did with this is that they made him a veteran. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. It made a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I liked that, and I liked the I liked the sort of point of, you know, he fought for the country, and then, you know, you know, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a new story for veterans, of course, that, you know, they fought for the country, and the country turns their back on them, but to, to have the whole mutant element on top of it, and to be, you know, for that to be part of it, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was a different spin than I'm used to seeing with mutant stuff, and, and a different kind of thing for a character, so I kind of liked that touch with it. Yeah, in in a good way, in definitely in a good way. Yeah. yeah. And then let's talk about Marcos and uh, Lorna. I, I loved both characters. Um, I was also especially happy that once we got past the pilot and Lorna washed that black out of her hair, that she had the green hair. Because at first yeah. I was like, why have Polaris and give her black hair? I, you know, I'm thinking that that was just what they were doing with her, is that she just had dark hair. But uh, I was glad that they gave her the authentic green hair. But uh, Marcos, of course, being a very conflicted guy with a horrible past, where he was a mob enforcer. But because of that, he's even more determined not to hurt anybody now and you have lorna as the exact opposite i mean she's someone who sort of came from a you know a background i mean she's bipolar which was an interesting another interesting thing to have that on top of being a mutant but she got darker as the series progressed and it's interesting wait a minute wait a minute the, the magnetic character had two poles <laughs> Come on. what are you doing oh me, mark oh that's bad even hey, for I, me hey, i i I didn't write. I didn't write her. I did. That wasn't my character decision. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because I mean, it's it's one of those things that it, it's injecting real real life into the comics by giving her 
a real condition. Yes. And I thought that that was a nice touch uh, with Polaris. But what I did find interesting about their relationship was that, you know, at the end of the day, her problem with Marcos, you know, when he went to work for his ex-girlfriend, had absolutely nothing to do with what he was doing for the ex-girlfriend. It was the fact that he went back to his ex-girlfriend. Because as we find out, <laughs> Lorna has absolutely no trouble with being, you know, violent and deadly and all that kind of stuff. You know, whereas the rest of the characters were more upset with the idea of him going out there and killing people. But, you know, it was... <laughs> I. I I did like the uh you know i did like that sort of touch to it that wasn't commented on but it's just kind of there and, and i like the whole idea of them just kind of missing each other you know they're both determined to make life safer for their child and they go about it completely different ways and yeah. and that's what causes the break between the two of them which was heartbreaking but also i thought telegraphed very early on and it was kind of like like i said uh before i I felt like the last episode could have happened like seven episodes previously because all these things were kind of uh you know uh it was it was kind of obvious which way characters were going to go but in the way it was good to see the journey it wasn't in the way that i feel like something is boring when it's drawn out it was kind of like putting in all the details there so you follow them completely on that journey would you guys say that's fair? I no, I, I uh I no, I disagree. I think that uh I think that it was fairly well written and uh in in terms of being oblique, you, you know, they 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 established pretty early on that this was going to be mean. This is good. This is going to be a show with some twists in it and all the, all the things that we've been talking about that we like were these revelations, you know, in the characters. And so uh, you know, I tried I tend I try very hard when I watch this stuff to turn off my writer's side and just sort of ingest it as 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 a fan at base level. I try really hard to do that. And it's it's difficult with uh, a lot of shows because they're badly written or they're not bad. Let's not say they're badly written, but y- you know, you, you watch enough TV, you accumulate enough of the tropes and you know, which way things are going to go. Mm-hmm. I did. I didn't always know which way things were going to go for, uh, the show. I felt like I knew where the arc was, but I was constantly interested in, you know, the way in which, uh, the Sentinels organization would try to, to get in front of the, the mutants and the mutants would try to work around them. I thought that all worked out really well. And I felt like it was, I didn't feel like any, any of the shows were badly paced. The, the, everybody had a through line in every episode, even if that through line was just, you know, I'm starting to think there's maybe more to this mutant menace than we might've thought. Thanks mom. (laughs) You know, I mean, granted that's not much of a through line, but, but, but I never felt like any of these characters stayed still. And so, so I, no, I thought I, I didn't see a lot of this stuff coming. I, you know, as soon as the hellfire club got mentioned, I I was like, dude, that's so cool. So that means, and then, you know, then, and then the fan brain kicks in and I'm like, Oh, so, okay, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, no, don't do that because they've intentionally left it vague. They just want you to know that that's what this world is. Well, let me be clear. I didn't know that they were going to bring in the hellfire club and have it through that way, but it was clear that Lorna was on the militant side of mutants the same way that Andy was and that eventually there was going to be a splinter group that decided we're just going to take the fight to them and screw you know trying to be nice yeah no I did I did I didn't see that coming I thought I thought I they they had spent the whole season trying to stay together that I thought that's what they were going to do you know 
it wasn't until Emma Frost's kid showed up that I thought maybe this was going to be a wedge issue, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that was, you know, for me, a, a dramatic point that worked. Okay. Fair enough. Yes, it was, was as soon as I saw how Lorna was acting, and I knew exactly how Lorna was going to react. This is my girl, and I, I love the actress that played her. And, and seeing her and how Marcos was interacting, I definitely knew right away that, yeah, she's going to do something stupid, and there's going to be a rift. I, I love how just before that last scene where she appears, that she goes to the supervillain store to buy like the most evil costume that she could find that's all spiky mm-hmm. and everything. I, I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's like there was no reason for her to change like her costume, like her clothing, like that. But it's just like, eh, nah, I'm just gonna, you know, just gonna throw on something a little arch, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like I like this. This is fitting. You're this right. is definitely what a pregnant woman should wear. <laughs> oh, that was the thing. My, my wife kept saying, like, when is her baby bump gonna show? But that's the problem. The th- Thank you, Beth. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. The, th- the thing about this show is that. You feel like it's taking place over the span of months because of how long it took to all come out, but I think it was really only supposed to happen over the span of like a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. So, so that's the problem is that yeah, her her baby bump doesn't show, but I don't think much time passed. Each episode is no more than two days. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think I think I think three to four weeks is probably a fair assessment. And they didn't even do the thing like, we've been sitting here for a month trying to figure out what to do. I mean, they, they literally just, you know, it's the next day. I've still got the contusion, but we've got to drive the van to pick up supplies or whatever, you know? So, yeah. I- I'm sorry, Angie, I might have been talking over you before. Were you trying to say something? Oh, it just reminded me. I don't remember where it comes from, somewhere on the internet, but... um. <laughs> They're talking about there's uh, two Nazis, I guess, and they're like, we have skulls on our helmets. Are we the baddies? <laughs> I kept thinking that in that last scene. Like, oh, I dressed up in my villain outfit. I'm like, oh, look, you look evil now. Are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna, it's it's gonna be okay. Uh, I I think this will all uh, sort itself out. Uh, especially now because now we have the Hellfire Club. So now what we have is essentially an assault on two fronts. You know that's always been the trouble with the mutants or uh, with the X Men books is that you know in addition to the outside world giving them pressure, there's other factions of mutants who want to do it a different way, and that's always been Charles's you know, struggle with Magneto and then, you know, later with Callisto. And, you know, there's been, there, there, there's always, there's always been some charismatic leader who, who, who doesn't share Xavier's vision for a utopian future where everybody's coexisting. So, uh, season two should be really interesting, uh, as the Hellfire Club, if officially, you know, joins the fracas. Yeah, I, you know, the thing that I was saying to my wife was that I wish, what I would love to see, you know, instead of, because it's always a story of human extermination of mutants, I want to see the story where the humans want to exploit mutant powers, and I thought they were going to go that way with this. I mean, they were exploiting mutant powers, but just to exterminate other mutants. It wasn't in the sense of, hey, these mutants can do X, Y, and Z. Why aren't we using them to do all of these commercial type applications that, you you know these powers would help with and exploiting and you know it, what i would consider a more realistic thing uh you know would be that you know exploiting in that way yeah like yeah like what the military did in days of future past right whenever he has to go back in time and toads in vietnam you know and all this uh, that, yeah that made that certainly um that certainly made sense 
you know, philosophically, fundamentally. But I think I, I like that this is all a government-backed thing. I like that Trask Industries is here. Uh, I love I love that that the sent that the Sentinels are actually now you know a corporation, right? Sentinels, uh, Sentinel Incorpor or whatever it is, Sentinel uh, Services, Sentinel Services Inc. You know, uh, because that's really uh, again, you know. In a in a metaphor heavy environment, this is the heaviest of 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 them all. So um, no, this uh, I in fact I got the impression that that this program that they were working on was to weaponize mutant abilities. That was the whole point of it. Right, but I mean the guy who's running that program, uh, who again his name escapes me, the uh, Campbell. Campbell, yeah. I mean his whole thing is to just use mutants to kill other mutants, and then my thinking is he was going to put down the ones that he was using, you know, once he had killed all the rest of them. So it wasn't in the sense of we're going to commercialize these, you know, powers and, you know, use them to make our lives easier. It was more of just Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. I I didn't think I think in terms of using them as weapons of mass destruction. Right. I think I think and in fact I think he does re- refer to th- them in one of the episodes. Somebody refers to them as a weapon of mass destruction. And and so at that point, it, it, of course when you say that, my first thought is militarization. Sure. So I, that that was my impression was that once once we've eliminated these rebels, we can control who gets the mutant genes. And I just felt like, I, I don't know why, I, th- I thought that was the agenda well, for him. I don't know, even with what they showed with him and his idea of mutants and whatnot, I got him as a as a guy who just wanted to kill them all, you know? I mean, once he got rid of the yeah, other mutants, yeah. he, he was going to kill the ones that he had, uh, you know, just to, to it, get rid it of them. Might, that might have just been my read on things and not actually something that was in there. Well, but, that's what uh, I thought early on, too, though. I was like, oh, so they're making slaves of the mutants to be like their sort of like military, you know, assets. But just the more we learned about Campbell and about the whole idea of wanting to learn about that research of how to kill the X gene and, you know, everything, it seemed like he was more in the extermination camp uh, rather right. than the use them right. for a purpose camp. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something I, I would like to see maybe in, a, in another season because I think that while I agree that there are always going to be people who see extermination of, of another group as, as a way to go, I think it's far more likely, especially with the opportunity that mutant powers would present, that someone would be like, we should be using these guys. I mean, still doing horrible yeah. things to them, but we should be using them for, you know, whatever purpose. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, one, well, one squadron of mutants can do what a whole battalion of soldiers can do, mm-hmm. you know. Why aren't we sending them to go fight the war on terror? Right. Right? Yeah, I know. That, and, and, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe that's where this goes in season two. Who knows? Well, I, I mean, that's what makes sort of uh, John's past interesting, too, because it shows that mutants have been fighting in wars, you know, historically. And so it's like, you know, what does that do to the battlefield when you have mutants you know, in the military. Now, are other countries weaponizing their mutants, you know, uh, to, to, to fight battles and whatnot. So it, it would it'd be an interesting way for them to go, I think. Well, it's also interesting that, I mean, if your superpower is that you're bulletproof, how often are you going to have the opportunity to figure that out? <laughs> so I have to wonder how many soldiers end up on, on a, you know, a battlefield and find out they have powers the hard way. And how does... I mean, I'd be very interested to watch a war movie in this yeah. universe. 
Yeah, yeah. No, um, that would be, you know, I could see season two starting with a flashback in Afghanistan, you know, uh, because uh, it would be worth knowing if he was hiding his powers uh, when he was in the military or if he was with a unit in the military that was before the incident that caused them to clamp down on mutant abilities. Maybe maybe there was a time when when being a mutant wasn't such a bad thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like these are answers for future seasons because, you know, we're really just barely scratching the surface. And, and they've, they've made it very clear, you know, we're, we're being oblique on purpose. You know, we don't know how many seasons we're going to get. We're, you know, we're, we're intentionally tr- trying not to link everything in. So I think I'm, I'm hoping that they'll uh, take that opportunity to um, add a wrinkle where we haven't seen one in the movies yet, you know, because we've, we've only gone from all we, all we know in the, in the, in the TV shows, Legion and this one is that mutants are bad and, and, and the Sentinels are protecting us from the mutants and the X-Men are gone and and we don't know where they are and they could all be dead for all we know. I'm, oh, that's so, that's so intriguing, but that's a, what a great, I still feel like that's such a great premise for a television show, which is why uh, all the more reason why I don't want to see them folded into the Marvel Universe. Ah! <laughs> uh. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about Agent Turner. I like the fact that they made him more than just the one-dimensional, you know, I'm going to kill all of you. I mean, Campbell was more the one-dimensional character of, I just want to exterminate them all. I felt absolutely no sympathy about his brother's situation and how they sort of, how he sort of turned that into, like, if there are people who have genetic issues, then there are also people who are genetically strong, and we got to get rid of them. You know, I, I'd been, I don't know if they were trying to get sympathy from us out of that, but I didn't have any. But but Turner, at least, you know, they did a good job of showing why someone could be radicalized, I guess would be a great word for it, you know, through the fact that his daughter died. And while I can understand what happened there, I think that his wife hit the nail right on the head with, what in the world are you doing in the name of our child? But I at least like the fact that they tried to make him, you know, and even in the beginning there, he was a little more open-minded you know about you know mutants and about what was going on wrong there and it was only after the frosts you know sort of twisted things and and murdered his whole unit and him thinking that that was the struckers you know reneging on their deal and you know uh uh you know you having his their mutant friends kill all his people that he became truly you know like like to the point where he just couldn't be reasoned with but you know, what do you guys think about Turner? I think they did. I, I think they did a great job right away of, of making him a complicated character. He mm. does not seem to relish the job initially. And one of the best things about the series, I think, is that there are shades of gray for just about every one of the major characters. The only guy who seems truly remorseless is uh, our our evil genius, Mad Doctor. Everybody else seems to have some form of a conscience, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in so morally unambiguous a world, right? Yeah. So, so for me, me, I think that was great. I have no. Uh, I, I think they did a good job of. And you know, when he finds out what happens, that's the thing that turns him. It's perfect. I mean, it's a really. It's it's just yeah. The 
one of the nice things about this renaissance we're enjoying of television is that is that people are are they're learning from I won't call it a past mistake but they but they but they've realized that you know these sort of familiar beats aren't interesting anymore you know and it's far more interesting to give this guy sort of a you know I really don't want to be have to be doing this kind of an attitude and then and then you know tor- and then when it when it all hits the fan it's okay it's game on so for me, I think that was genius. It was a really smart development play. Yeah. I mean, that whole scene where he goes home asking about the daughter after he's had his oh. encounter with Dreamer, oh, I man. felt for oh, him then. Heart. You know, and the, yeah. that, that he lost that and he had to go through it again. Yeah, that sucked. That was that was that was actually that was a part where I was like, damn, that that's a that's a cold thing to do, man. Mm. That's a cold, cold thing to do. <laughs> Another reason why I didn't like Dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> especially in today's climate it gave us and there and of course with my ethnicity being half black i i kind of had to look at on that different scale and bring it a little bit to reality and just see the mindset of an officer having to go against this kind of force of nature and yeah he, him losing his child to this incident it was so tough and I felt for him a lot, and I know he's doing his job, but then, of course, the liberal in me is like, let them live, mother. Let them live. and Because they did nothing wrong. They're just being them. But I, I it, it made me feel more and more for him and like him more as a character just because I'm understanding his point of view from it. Yeah. I, I, just, I, I absolutely love Turner, and I never thought I would have actually expected that coming out of the show well the thing is i mean and and this is the real grayness of the x-men mythos in that you know in reality while we have persecuted groups those persecuted groups don't have phenomenal godlike powers that they can use right and so it does give you at least a little bit of a window into why people would be terrified of mutants to know mm-hmm. that these people, just on a whim, because they're having a bad day because of X, Y, or Z, could decide to use these powers, you know, aggressively to hurt people. Or, you know, certain powers in themselves are problematic, like dreamers. You know, powers that could mess with your head and change who you are or edit your life or do things like that. The fear is understandable, and that's what I felt has always made X-Men very powerful, is because of the fact that you can see... When it's written, when when it's written well, you can see both sides of what's going on, and I think that that figure was because, like, like we said, Campbell has no remorse. Campbell is obviously a horrible person, but through Turner, we get that you know other side of things. Why would humans find it difficult? Why would they be scared? Why would they react in this way? And I and I really liked how they did it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good uh, analogy, and I also think that it's. I think we're gonna. I think they're gonna keep exploring it. Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. in in future seasons, I think that would be, it would be a mistake not to because uh, the show itself. I I, I don't want to see it to go. To, the the political the political edge is nice. They need they need to keep the political edges. I think where I'm going mm-hmm. with this. I I, I, wa- I really want to see that that play out and and continue and not devolve into a relationship show like a Smallville. <laughs> I would hope there's no there's no chance of that with how this show started. But or or tragedy porn like mm. Arrow. You know, That's and more granted, likely. <laughs> They have, they have, they have a, the feeling is, you know, really 
different. You know, they're, 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 they're clearly tonally very different. But, but one of the things that the, the X-Men universe has always thrived on is angst. And it's one of the things that the CW universe uh, is 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 propped up on. It's like a it's like a Doric column for the CW universe. <laughs> Ang- angst, illogic, it's and, stu- true. And, and 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 the the uh, the indignities of being lied to. Those are the three fundamental character pillars. Over at the uh, at the at the CW. Never mind that that I've saved your life. You lied to me about it, so we have to break up. <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. No, I think that this show is far too grounded to go into CW territory. I mean, even the whole ethos of what Fox. I mean, they're they're very dissimilar shows, and they're and they're created by different people. But like things like Gotham, you know, and and The Gifted are so far away from what the CW is doing that I, I don't ever see them going to that level. I hope you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I want you to be right. Yeah. And I say this a lot on your show, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I want to, I want to believe you. I want, I want things to be okay again. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's important. It's important that we not cry, you know? Right. Well, one thing I will say, I meant to bring it up earlier, uh, uh, when you were talking before, Matt Nix has said he has plotted through the first three seasons. So right. he has a plan for three. Now, whether or not he gets a third one, we don't know. But the show's definitely been renewed for a second season. So, you know, we have that to look forward to. Matt, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are because you probably Google your name like everybody else. <laughs> let me say this out loud. If you can end it at three and it's awesome, you end it at three. Don't give us a sh- fourth season okay <clears throat> burn notice <clears throat> these are these are different times now it's a different world and it's okay if you just do a small show that does really well look at what the first eight episodes of, of legion did and realize that you know that's a show that could have been not renewed and people would still call it a genius show so don't don't do what lost did and and uh, for god's sake uh keep the keep the political commentary coming six seasons in a movie <laughs> stop stop mike stop <laughs> yeah yeah matt you know how when you made a sixth season of burn notice and you really shouldn't have and then you had to make a seventh season just to fix it <laughs> let's not get there let's not go there again okay <laughs> now if he was listening he's turned it off in disgust anyway yeah, he's had enough of our shit, that's for sure. Way to go, Nathan. Matt was listening and you totally hosed him. I have strong oh feelings about the ending of Burn Notice, but anyway. Right. Great. We had him and then we lost him. You just you couldn't let it go, could you? No, no. My God. Anyway. All right, so um, you know, Mike, uh, Mike, uh, I'm sorry, Mark has talked about you know what he would like to see going forward uh, in the series, but uh, what about you, Angie? I. Um, I'm really sad that Campbell died because I really love that actor. Yeah, Will, William. I don't know what his name is. William it's something. Or something. Hunt. He's he's been a creep a creeper in lots of things. Yeah. He's yes. He's, yes. He's, he's like perfected the art of the smile that doesn't reach his eyes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He was he, great uh, in Raising uh, Hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another Fox show. So I was, yeah, I was thinking of really uh, Deadlands. Deadwood. Yeah, Deadwood. He's he's awesome in Deadwood. He's awesome in Deadwood. He was awesome in Sarah Connor Chronicles. He shows he was, up. He was lot. so good. He was so good in Deadwood when they killed him off. They wrote him back in as a separate character. 
that's how okay. that's how good an actor he was is they didn't want him to leave the show so they literally wrote a completely different part from him totally opposite from the one that he had name me another character actor that they've done that with you can't go ahead <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, when Lorna destroyed the plane, that was the saddest part for me. Is that yeah. he's he's gone. Although they didn't show Barty, but frankly, I would probably be mad if they brought him back at this point. But I'm sad he's going. Well, he's gonna be like a charred husk now, and he's gonna be even more <laughs> mad at mutants. Yeah. Well, then he's gonna find out that his superpower was that he was fireproof. That's fine. When we have occasion to learn that, until now. So, I mean, the villains in this show, I. The the Hellfire Club being an antagonist is great, and I'm really excited for that, and I want to see more of it. I I love I I loved the combination of Campbell and Jesse Turner <laughs> um, <laughs> this season because I it was such a great example of showing and not telling. Like I mean, frankly, they were kind of rote characters, and that the things that made them who they were are fairly cliche, and they've been done before. But they both had these really subtle takes on them that I that I enjoyed, and they were, in the case of Campbell, just like demonstrably wrong. That scene where he's giving the talk and talking about Neanderthals and how humans beat the Neanderthals. Well, we know that's not true. We slept with them, and that's where they went. Like they're right. in us. I have a right. feeling it's a family mutant show. That's how we're going to solve this problem too. We're all <laughs> going to sleep together and all have a bunch of children, and we'll all have the X gene eventually. Um, so I thought that was a great little touch that kind of went uncommented on. But the same with Turner at the the episode where you know he's the Struckers come in and they have this discussion with him and his wife, and his wife appeals to his humanity, and then ending that episode with that horrific mind control massacre it was so clearly this turn for him where it was almost gentlemanly before like this is the rule of law this is what's right like we have to do this to protect people we love and then it became like these are barbarians and i've got to do whatever it takes and it was very subtly acted i really enjoyed it um you could but he his fundamental flaw is that he can't differentiate between the other so he he's put all mutants in this one box and the scene with dreamer where she apologizes and says what she did to him was an accident and she's so sorry he kind of he doesn't believe her but it gets to him and so when he finds out that she's dead later there's just that small tick that is so touching to me i just i love him as an actor and i'm really excited for what they they do with him next season and hopefully they move forward and don't just turn him into a one-note villain yeah, that's actually what I'm most excited for, to see more more of the antagonists, I think. Yeah, uh, now that the Hellfire Club's on the table, I want to see that open up as well. Yeah, this is, the, the, I mean, clearly this first season was just establishing the the power camps, you know, essentially. And so uh, I think uh, season two is going to uh, deepen those relationships and also strain those relationships if they're smart, because, you know. In in the absence of of teenage angst, we need to have a conflict. the The better I think, the better discussion is where your moral compass is. Right? What, what you know? What, what your your morals versus your ethics X Y axis? That's a, that's a always more interesting thing to explore. Uh, and so so yeah, I I, th- I think Angie's got the got her finger on the pulse. If they'll if they'll get that going, that's going to be great. And Mike, what about you? Is there anything that you really want to see next season? And don't say that you want six seasons in a movie. <laughs> Fine. It it was a sh- it was a complete shock to me because uh, so I watched my stuff with subtitles because anime right. ruined me. <laughs> right. 
And when they showed this blonde girl, and I'm like, ooh, who is this little blonde cutie? And in the subtitles, it said Frost Triplet. I'm like, what did you tell me? Subtitles? Yeah, that's my one issue with subtitles as well, because I also listen to or put on subtitles, because sometimes I have a hard time telling what characters say, and so it's nice to have the subtitles on to get that, and it annoys me when they give away plot stuff in the (laughs) subtitle that I'm not supposed to know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, and and once it happened, I wanted to go straight to Facebook, because it's 2018. I'm like, wait, (laughs) it's a spoiler! I can't tell! How am I gonna tell? I'm freaking out! (laughs) So I had to just yell at myself in my little hut at work, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a good hour conversation too. So I think next season, like it's weird because I want to, I want to see more of the Hellfire members who are still around, who yeah. are actually people who are making all this stuff. And the fact that these subtitles, even if it was just because it just needed to be there, I don't care. I want to see if they actually bring Emma into the show. If we actually have an actual main in-your-face character. I'd love to have Sebastian Shaw to see if somebody can pull off those epic mutton chops. <laughs> yes, please. I will sh- if I see them on the show, I'll shave my beard to make it. <laughs> I, I was... Uh, I, I actually hope they don't, Mike. I, I, I think we need at least one more season. I, I think like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, it's only going to draw uh, attention away from what everybody else is doing if you introduce an A-list character even one that we haven't seen before Very true. I, I i think is going to be they started to do it with shield and then wisely decided against it and now when two characters decide to leave the show and everybody buys them a drink everybody starts crying think about that <laughs> you know and 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 that's because they didn't run uh chris hemsworth and chris evans and scarlett johansson through the series nilly willy like they were guests on laugh in so i was so you know i say keep developing you know go ahead and give us some more of the undeveloped mutants hell we still with the exception of logan we really haven't seen any of the morlocks this would be a great opportunity to bring a couple of the cooler morlocks in you know we kind of would because eclipse needs a little bit of love Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So so I think the smarter play is to pick the mutants who are B and C list mutants and let them shine in a way that makes them better characters than the wiggling around of Cyclops. Did anyone else think that the dog was a mutant? No. Because the dog was, you know, in it so much, you know, so many scenes that I was like, this is like some person that can turn into a dog. You know, it's not a real dog. <laughs> a dog can just be a dog, Nathan. Yeah, apparently so, because <laughs> at the very end, we see the dog escaping with everybody. So <laughs> I love that they couldn't they couldn't let people think that the dog died, so they had to show the dog escaping with everybody. <laughs> you, you, you want some angry letters, right. blow, up a, blow yeah. up a dog on TV and see what happens. Right. And maybe this could help me, because I don't know where it... Maybe I miss a clue or something, but towards the end of the season... Eclipse just kept going on and on about the X-Men chose us. I'm like, when was this decision made? This was something they keep talking about, but haven't shown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The whole time I'm like, where's the letter from Xavier or someone that told you to do this? (laughs) Congratulations. You've been chosen to represent us while we die in a parallel dimension. Known as Hollywood. Asteroid M. Show me where in the mansion they talk to you. Asteroid M. There you go. Thank you, Angie. Show me in the diorama where they talk to you. 
point, though. They blew up their headquarters. Maybe they're going to the X-Mansion next season. Oh, see? If they if they have access to this, and of course, you know, I know I you guys have got to... There's the other force at play here is the thing that we kind of talked about in the controversy, and that is uh, contractually where all this stuff is going. You know, so there's cer- certain decisions that they can make, but if this thing is still a show in 2019, you know... This could cause a problem, you know. So you have to be real careful about what you can and can't bring in. And I'm sympathetic to this because, you know, and and not just not just on this particular showrunner's table, but everybody's because you you have to look at contracts. And now there's a parent company that's got other IP that that conflict with this and and other deals in place. And so, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, the Marvel Universe is as good as it is, is because they couldn't uh, use these big name guys and had to start with Iron Man. Now, the X-Men on TV are kind of the same thing. Well, we can't use Wolverine. Uh, He's tied up in in movie rights. So, and we haven't cast a new guy. So what are we going to do? Let's pick the ones that people that are, that are popular mutants, but aren't so popular that, that we're going to get in trouble. And so uh, this is a, this is a smart decision, but it's also, uh, there's, they're going to have to make, they're going to have to make lemonade out of some of these lemons. And I mean that at some point in time, the contractual realities of these corporations clashing is going to be the thing that decides what the story is. And as fans, we have to acknowledge that, you know, the reason why this, this season probably sucked is because there are contract fights and, and we couldn't use this character and things are moving over to Disney. So this was off limits and we can't mention this. And, and the whole thing's a short season and it ends on a down note because screw it. We're going to burn this to the ground anyways, because we're not getting what we want. You know, you guys need to all be prepared for those eventualities because creatively, you know, one of the nice things about comic books is you you have an editor and then you have an editor in chief. And usually you know, they used to have family editors. I don't know if they still do. At Marvel, I know it's freewheeling now. But you only have to get a story by a couple of people to do a comic book story. And even then, it's only just to make sure that legally you aren't stepping on anybody's toes. That's not how that's not how TV shows and that's not how movies get made. There's executives in rooms. And anytime you tie another company's room full of executives in, you multiply those problems tenfold. So this is and this is something that 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 fans maybe maybe because it's depressing. And maybe because it's too realistic, we don't want to talk about. But but the reality is, is that, you know, some of these creative choices in the end may not be up to the people who are running the shows. So I hate to be the Debbie Downer. But 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 there's a very strong possibility that this that that the shifting could be the thing that that makes the shows not it may, makes them not get to do what they want to do. Thankfully, nobody nobody laid a claim to legion so we're going to get a second series the the new mutants as far as i know were never tied into the x-men franchise explicitly so this new mutants movie looks like it's going to be off the hook these are good things you know we need differences and and best of all tonally very different from what the marvel universe is doing uh, Marvel Universe doesn't need to go that dark. We it, it, there's the Netflix shows. There's uh, the the what the Fox guys are doing with the X Men universe. I'm I, I I want I want that's why I want to keep this where it is. You know I I just feel I think the the what the short lived value of having Wolverine guest star in an Avengers movie is far outweighed 
by having two really good cohesive universes that are operating back to back that are delivering very good, very different, but, but, but very comic comic book worthy quality material for us. Not, not everything has to be peanut butter and chocolate. Some things are peanut butter and sardines. <laughs> good Lord. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. Movies <laughs> apparently. Yeah, well, no, I, I, but but the, the, I, I I guess that was really a ham-fisted way of making the point. But my point <laughs> is, you know, I'd rather have two really good things than one <laughs> thing mashed together with stuff sticking out of it and and things dropping off. And you know what I'm saying? I, I, I let's not make sandwiches. Let's let's have finger food. Yeah. So, Mike, was there anything else that you wanted to see uh, the gifted going forward? Nothing that really comes to mind. <laughs> Has Mark crushed all your hopes and dreams? <laughs> he always does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just look, I'm more intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued with uh, who's running the show behind the Hellfire Club. I just want I want something good to happen to Marcos next season. <laughs> he, he, I feel so sorry for him. He feels so defeated. Uh, poor Marcos. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez and and you know that scene at the end i mean taking it back to this is about teenagers on the run and everything that's like the scene where like the people like choose teams at school and you know then there's the people who aren't picked by the team it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't come here for you the people who know that we're here for them you know know who they are and it's like man <laughs> you don't measure Not- up nope. <laughs> it's like man that's Not so harsh good. Oh. Yeah, I uh I mean for me moving forward, I liked I'd like to see more of the world that they're inhabiting. You know, I mean we kind of talked about and talking about the military and whatnot, and it's always been one of those I don't know, it's one of those issues even going back to the comics that has been kind of skirted around, you know, that sometimes it's like they reveal that, oh yeah, other countries are completely like okay with exploiting their mutant population i mean the soviets when they were around you know in comics in the 80s and whatnot it's like you know they had no trouble you know using mutants in uh you know uh espionage or warfare or anything like that so i I would like to see more of you know just an understanding of you know how you know this this all works you know internationally you know not just politics in america but what is the mutant situation how was it before I, I keep forgetting the the date. It, it's their analog for nine eleven. Seven fifteen. Seven fifteen. Thank you. And you know, I'd like to see more of that kind of stuff. But um, really, I think Mark hit the nail on the head. Though this was the setup season, and I really just want to see like what the plan is going forward. For now, we have two different groups. I don't think they're going to come together in any meaningful way, but there's definitely going to be interplay where they might end up working together to get some goal accomplished or something like that. But I think there's also going to be situations where they both arrive at an event with different agendas and seeing the two teams, you know, getting in each other's way. And that'll be interesting. And that's classic Marvel. That's classic Marvel. You know, two guys show up for the same, for a slightly different reason and have to fight before they figure out they're on the same side. That's vintage Marvel. Who could ask for anything more? (laughs) Mm -hmm. For me, one of the most horrifying things was the Frost saying like, no, you should have killed those kids if it would have gotten you to Campbell. Um, so, you know, seeing oh those God, kinds right? of moral, I mean, it was a bit, to me, it was a bit cliched that the kids just happened to come out of the elevator right at the moment when it would be a problem. But, uh, at the same time though, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see more of those sort of moral questions come up, 
and how the different characters... Because my question is, you know, the Frosts clearly didn't care. Would Lorna have cared if it meant killing kids to get to Campbell? And so it'd be interesting to see that kind of a quote, you know, with her being an expectant mother and everything. So I'd like to see those kinds of moral quandaries, you know, explored uh, in the season as it goes forward. So I'm really hyped for this. I mean, I I was not expecting much from this show, but I I think that it really knocked things out of the park. I agree. Angie, what about you? How do you feel about the show overall? I felt great about it. It was really interesting to me that Legion which I also loved, went the way of deliberately obscuring the world that they were in with an you know, unreliable narrator, and you could go through the show and not ever really realize it was an X-Men show, which was great. And this one has gone almost the polar opposite, where they're like, oh, guess what, this is an X-Men show, and we're just going to keep <laughs> dropping hints and expanding on that, um, which I thought was great as well. But to me, Legion, while I loved it, the gifted feels more like the 90s cartoon mm. it feels kind of like in in tone and feel a uh, kind of worthy successor to that to that experience which you know i i think back on it fondly so um i feel great about the show and i feel um, pretty confident going forward that if it can maintain that tone it's i'm i'm hooked i'll keep watching did you hear the x-men theme ringtone i can't remember which character it was what was that on i i, I was like what what are you doing yeah that was that was cool yeah. that was very cool <laughs> i love that though yeah it was in one of the first few episodes but yeah that was great who had the ringtone was it uh was it campbell that had the ringtone or no no it was one of the characters in the underground i, I want to say it might have been clarice I don't remember. Oh, no, she didn't have a phone, so it couldn't have been her, but it was somebody, I think, talking to Clarice. The scene was somebody was talking to Clarice and their phone rang. So I can't remember who it was, though. But anyway, (laughs) we can Google it, I'm sure, and then we'll see where somebody commented on it online. Oh, my God, I can't believe so-and-so had the X-Men ringtone. But anyway, (laughs) so is there anything we haven't talked about that you have to get off your chest with regard to Gifted? Angie, we'll pick on you since you were just talking. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I don't have... I, I thought some of the relationship stuff was rushed. Hmm. Or felt rushed. Um, and, you know, people acted out of character a lot of the time or, or kind of treaded water. Is there anything specific you're thinking of besides the, the Clarice and, and John stuff? So, I feel like Caitlin and... What's his name? Fade, Fade. I guess. Like... I felt like they, their repeated conflicts didn't do anything. Like, one would have been fine instead of having it take up screen time multiple times. And I guess that, that kind of you know, harkens back to the fact that I think she as a character is kind of treading water. So, pacing-wise, I didn't think it was perfect. I actually started the season really liking Lorna and not really being a fan of Marcos, and by the end had kind of flopped on that. I love Marcos, and <laughs> Lorna needs to calm the hell down. Uh, <laughs> He's her father. But, yeah, yeah, there's nothing that I would point out that is that's a deal breaker at all. I thought it was a fairly strong season. All right, Mike, what about you? Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? No, I think that's. I think you got once again well done. Well, thank you. And Mark, what about you? Anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? No, man, I was good. That you know, again, very, very, very complete coverage on your on your end. But uh, just, uh, yeah, I hope the people uh, that have been waiting to binge it enjoy it. I'd like to see how it holds up under a binge. You know, for me, uh, it was really cool to watch it, you know, weekly. And uh, sometimes the binge changes things, you know. And so that'll be kind of interesting to see 
in retrospect, because I'll probably rewatch season one, you know, on the eve of season two, like you do. Uh, so yeah, no, uh, no complaints. Everything was great. I had zero expectations going in. I planned on only watching the first season premiere, uh, so that I could say, I saw it. It wasn't for me, blah, 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 X-Men, bah humbug. And then I, you know, by the end of it, I'm just like, come on guys, get it together. You know, I, it's, (laughs) and, and that's nice. It's nice for an old fan, you know, especially because, uh, I don't have, like I said, I, I haven't been following the, the comic in you know, years. And so it's, it's nice to be able to come in and watch it and watch it clean. I don't have to be an Uber fan to follow this. You know, all I need to know is the, is the X-Men premise. And that's in in terms of fan service. uh, Perfect. They need to be, they all need to be thinking in this direction. Uh, when you have your runaway podcast that I'm not on, (laughs) you need to, yeah, right. You'll, you'll notice it's it. You know, the nice thing about it is this, everything you need to know is in that first season. Everything. I like how you got that in there. <laughs> I'm not oh, on it. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I, I, I only bring this up uh, to illustrate a point uh, that I uh, am a lot smarter than people think. Okay. That's all. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. It's, uh, interestingly, uh, it's for me the the thing that's going to be the real determining factor is when I show this to my mom because my mom has no comics background at all. Uh, I mean, she's seen the X Men movies at least some of them, so she has some basic premise. But that's why I wanted to ask you guys like what your comics background was, and you know, I mean, you all have you know a fairly solid grounding in X Men lore. But I'll be I'll be interested to see what someone who has really no real strong feelings about the X-Men feels about this show. Um, she's yeah. always an interesting litmus for me um, when I show things to my mom because sometimes she thinks things that I think are brilliant are awful and vice versa. So, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> maybe I'll comment on it after I show it to her. But this is definitely one that's on my list of ones, too. When she comes over, we always binge a season of oh, something. Good. Cool. Well, this will be a good one to check out, definitely. Yeah. But Angie, you binged like half of this, or maybe a little I over. I watched the first three episodes as they aired, and then um, I moved and no longer had access to that channel. So I, I bought the series on Amazon and watched the rest of it um, all at once. Angie, Angie, are you not a Huluer? I am not. No. Okay. Okay. Just FYI, it's on Hulu as well if you need to. Their ad structure um, makes it oh, impossible. Fair to enough. Watch. Like, I just can't handle it. But no, it's fine. It was on. It was on um, Amazon, and Nathan asked me to be on this podcast, so I bought the rest of the season, and my husband and I watched it. <laughs> yeah, and, and you really liked it in the binge structure. Yeah, and I don't think that binging really changed the the watching really much. To be to be honest, I, it good. I did, yeah, I don't think it it really affected anything. Maybe the maybe the relationship would seem less rushed, but it sounds like it seemed kind of off putting for everybody. So yeah, I, I I think the only thing that would change by binging it is that it wouldn't feel weird that Lorna hasn't doesn't look more pregnant, and that's something where I had to stop myself because after <laughs> my wife said that, I thought about it and I was like, you know, it feels like it's taken months because for us it started in October and it finished in January, so it feels like three months of time have passed in this show, but. I think inside the show, it's only been like two or three weeks. That's true. I didn't feel a lot of time had passed. I was more annoyed that she's like, I love being pregnant. It's awesome. I was like, shut up. Shut up. (laughs) She might have been going through a manic phase or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm surprised my wife didn't say anything about that, but... (laughs) 
Alright, no, point taken. Some of you might feel that way, and I think it's a lie. So. <laughs> alright, well, so, alright, so great. I mean, we all agreed. I mean, Mark, this was like night and day within humans, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I've actually gone further uh, online when people have asked to just skip the humans outright. I'm glad that ABC quietly canceled it. I pray that Logue gets another crack at it through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I want Inhumans uh, as recognizable characters for, for my own personal edification, but not that way. Right. You know, not not that way. Uh, so, yeah, I think this was a, a, a this really helped take the taste of the Inhumans out of my mouth, positively speaking. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like the opposite way that I approached it, too. I had high expectations for Inhumans. And was disappointed by it. I came in very low expectations for this, and it kind of blew me away. Oh, cool. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. So, um, since we've talked about everything we want, we want to talk about with The Gifted, let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find us. So, um, Mark, why don't we start with you? Why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Folks, uh, you can find me on the Gentleman Nerds podcast. Uh, I also have an Amazon authors page. And uh, for those of you who perked up at the name Robert E. Howard, you can go buy a copy of my uh, biography of him, Blood and Thunder, The Life and Art of Robert E. Howard, now in its second printing. uh, And it's uh, available at Amazon.com. All right, great. And Mike, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Bye, guys. You can find me over on the Twitter at This Is Trex or over on Trexlight.com. And Mike, are we going to see you on the new season of Mystery Science Theater? Uh, I am working on trying to show up there. It's it's a contract thing. I Jonah Hill apparently we him and I were having kind of a beef. I went like a charms for for in my dressing room. He wanted fruity pebbles. It was it's a whole big thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope to see you there, Mike, because I think that uh, you know you'd you'd make a great contribution to the show. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Angie, why don't you say goodbye? And let people know where they can find you, if they can. <laughs> this is me signing off from Salt Lake City. Uh, you can find me here, and if you feel like joining me on my hunt for Idris Elba at Sundance. You can find me in Park City this weekend. <laughs> That's about it, though. <laughs> yeah, this one's going to air after Sundance is over, so I don't think yeah. anyone's going to come to find you. <laughs> I talked about Comic Con too, and then realized the episode was going to air after it after it recorded. So no, it's fine. It's what's I going on in your life. Saying that you can find me. Sorry, right. every time. <laughs> I like the fact that you're a 42 cast exclusive. I am that thing. <laughs> wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, Mike, Mark, and, uh, and Angie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, sir. And so that's the end of our coverage of Marvel's The Gifted. What did you think of the episode? You can let us know in a bunch of different ways. One way is to go to our website at 42cast.com and drop us a line there. Another way is to go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash 42cast. Another way is to tweet to us at at 42cast. You can also email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also leave us feedback at Stitcher Radio and iTunes. Just let us know whatever you want to. What guests have you enjoyed listening to? What topics do you like? What would you like us to dive into? Just tell us whatever it is that you're thinking because we really want to hear from you. 
I also need to put in a shout out to the ESO Patreon. I still don't have an episode yet, <laughs> up yet, but I'm working on that. But but uh, you should check that out anyway, because the proceeds from the Patreon are going to every show on the network to keep us all on the air. So give that a listen, check it out, and I will have an episode up there soon. I have several panels from Chicago TARDIS, both in 2016 and 2017, that could go up there. And so it'll be a lot of fun to uh, get those out. So that's the end for this week, but join us back next week when Cress Williams will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan, signing out. You've been listening to the 42 Cast, copyright 2018. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. Incidental music is provided with permission by Fur DK. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.